found next in your handout here. Acts 11, 1 to 18, as we continue in the book of Acts. Luke writes, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, they criti- the, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, and I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to talk about this tonight, um, and and, and we'll do a quick review of the text. It's sort of the exact same text as last week, basically, just the retelling of the story. Uh, And then we're going to talk about some of the things we can learn from this. And I've titled this, as you can sort of guess, as Peter goes back to the Jews in Jerusalem and also as Jesus spoke to those in his hometown, I've titled this sermon tonight, Preaching to Your People. What does that mean, and what does that look like? So let's just go back to the text quickly and uh, start there. Verse 1 to 3. It's interesting. Peter comes back to Jerusalem, and and what happens is something that maybe some of us have experienced, right? Everyone's heard what you're up to, Peter. You went into the house of Gentiles, right? Um, You know, one of the funny things about being a pastor is all churches are kind of the same, right? Um, it's all the same sort of stuff, even a church like this, and I think this is one of those things that all churches are sort of a little guilty of. You know, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of wondering what everyone's up to. You know, I heard so-and-so went into the house of Gentiles, right? Um, (laughs) Maybe it's human nature. Maybe this is why the Bible talks a lot about gossip, but either way, this is what they do. Here they are, he comes back to Jerusalem, and and, and doesn't record anything about, you know, all the wonderful things that happened. The first thing that, that Luke tells us about is that the apostles and the believers, uh, the circumcised ones, the Jewish ones, said to him, I can't believe you did this, right? Explain yourself. And so, verse 4, and continuing, Peter tells them the story about the vision. We talked all about it last week. He tells them about the sheet in the animals and, and, and what this, this vision had said. And then Peter tells them there was this back and forth three times about this as Peter was wrestling with what this meant as a Jewish person to eat these animals that he always thought were unclean. And then in verse 11 and continuing, 
Um, he tells us, you know, the, the Cornelius' side of the story. These guys showed up. They had seen a vision. Cornelius, this great Roman commander, sends his people to go get Simon called Peter because he's going to share with him something amazing. And so they show up, and Peter, at the same time, the Holy Spirit talks to him, and so everything sort of lines up, as we talked about last week, and Peter goes and does this thing that's a little bit odd for him. He's going to go have a meal, enter into the home of a Gentile. And he recounts in verse 15 that as I was speaking, they believed. And what was amazing, that the Holy Spirit came down on them in this house, this house full of Gentiles, that I previously thought was unclean the same way it had with us in Acts chapter 2. And so now, in verse 16, though, I want to point, you, point out to verse 16, if you want to look, we actually get some of the inner monologue of Peter. In the story before, in the last chapter, Peter actually doesn't tell us what he was thinking, right? But here, we actually get some inner monologue of Peter. And he said, and I remembered. He says, and then I remembered what the Lord had said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, we see now, as I mentioned last week, Peter was wrestling with, what do I do? What does this vision actually mean? And now he tells us a little bit behind the scenes, and he says he was starting to put together the teachings of Jesus with what was happening. And that this vision about the animals, as we talked about, was not just about eating bacon-wrapped shrimp, which I'm still hungry for, but was about loving people and was about the gospel being for all. It's amazing. And this is actually quoted in Mark chapter 1. He says this exact same thing. Well, John the Baptist says this in Mark chapter 1. And then Peter says, so listen, brothers, I know you're critical of what I did. I know you're questioning what I did. But verse 17, he says, if God gave them the same gift why would I ever think I could stand in God's way? And, and to their credit, to the Jewish believer's credit in Jerusalem, his, his brothers in Christ, the apostles, they say, you know what? You're right. <laughs> this, is, this is new information. Apparently, this gospel is not just for us, but it's for everyone. Oh, perfect. And when they heard this, it says they had no further objections and they praised God. And from this point on in the story of Acts, we will see the gospel expand dramatically to where it goes, to the things it does, to the people it saves. Second to last, on the right, I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, that one. So, now, in this text tonight, Peter's retelling this story. Peter's retelling, and we see elements of human nature, right? People wondering, well, why did you do that? How could you do that, Peter? You know, but notice in verse 2, like I said, look at what it says. They, did, they weren't just asking him, they criticized him. And, and the first time I read it, I didn't catch this. It, at first I thought, well, they were just asking him. They just wanted to see what he was up to. Hey, we heard this, we just want to make sure everything's good, right? But no, it actually says that they criticized him and that Peter sort of had to prove it. They go to Peter, <laughs> who, by the way, Jesus said, hey, I'm, on you, I'm going to build my church, Peter, who's been doing miracles, Peter, who's been healing people in Samaria, Peter, who has been leading all of this, and they go to him and say, hey, Peter, prove it. And I want to stop here and just point something out. You know, one of the things we always try to do in life is be better than those who came before us. 
be more gracious, be more loving. And if we truly want to love people and make a difference for Jesus, one of the things I think we need to relearn is how to ask questions of people without criticism and critical spirits. I mean, just very practically. If we look at how divisive the world has become, how often we think of other people with critical hearts and critical spirits and judge their actions first with criticism before we even know, right? I mean, for those of you who are married or in, you know, in serious relationships, you know how dangerous this can be, you know, to go to someone whom you love and think you know why they did or said what they did. To those of you who are in, it happens with friendships, it happens at work, it happens at school, it happens in our politics, it happens all across the board where we go to someone thinking we know why they did what they did. We go to someone with a critical spirit thinking that they need to explain themselves to us. And sometimes we look at the world and wonder, how has the world gotten so divided? Well, I think this has a lot to do with it. We've become so critical with one another that we've forgotten how to ask questions simply to learn. <laughs> I mean, how often do we ask questions of people to say, prove it? And how often are we actually asking questions of other human beings to learn about their perspective and the lens with which they see life? You know, one of the things I think we sometimes forget is that our understanding or our group, our tribe, is not the only one. <laughs> we need to learn to disagree well. One of the things I, would, I say to many Christians is that one of the things we've somehow lost is the ability to disagree well, to agree to disagree, to have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ especially, and to say, hey, you know what? I totally disagree with you, but I love you. <laughs> All right? We have this weird us versus them mentality, and there's a lot of reasons for it, and I'm not going to go into those. But we need to learn to disagree well. And that's one of the things I first noticed from this passage. And that's the first thing I want to point out. I think we can learn from this passage that we need to be people who listen well. Because to their credit, the Jewish believers listened, even though they came to him with a critical spirit. At the end, what does it say? They said, you know what? That's a pretty good defense. <laughs> and so now it seems that God has actually done this thing and we will not stand in his way. And if you compare this to just a few chapters before in Acts with the Pharisees, with the story of Galamaliel, or whatever his name was, in Acts 4 or 5, I think, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin bring the apostles to them. The apostles share their testimony. And he says, why would we ever stand in the way of what God is doing? And they decide to say, no, you know what? We're going to beat them up, and we're going to throw them in jail, and we're not going to listen to you. And so to their credit, the apostles and the Christian believers were able to listen, even though they came with a critical spirit. And I would argue, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we need to be better and not come to one another with a critical spirit first. I think the end is the more important part, that they listened. But can we do this better? Can we go to one another without a critical spirit first? And then, as I was looking at this passage, I, want, I was wondering, how do we do this? Like, we know we have to listen. We know we have to bear with one another in love, as it says in Ephesians. But then the second thing I began to question was then, what do we do when we feel that other people are actually living outside of God's plan? What do we do when we're trying to go to a brother or sister, we're trying to talk to someone, and we actually feel that they may be living in sin, or that they may be in error, and we genuinely believe it? It's not just a critical spirit, but we truly believe, based on the truth revealed to us, that something may be wrong. 
And when I think about this, I see in our story that Peter the Jew was preaching to the Gentiles, outsiders from their community. And I was thinking, man, what could this be our equivalent? I don't know if there's a one-to-one equivalent for us today, right? There, there are lots of things you may think about. Maybe it's, you know, preaching to Muslims, preaching to atheists, I'm not sure. But one of the things we have to realize is that there are lots of groups and tribes outside of ours, right? There are lots of Christians, even who would say they are Christians, but disagree with us in our theology and our practice of that theology, right? And this is a difficult thing to balance, as many of you realize, right? Many of us have been in situations where we look, sit across from the person and say, I understand that you say you love Jesus, but our faith looks very different. What do we do about this? To put it into today's context, it'd be like, you know, this just the practical one-to-one for this story would sort of be like, hey, Sam, I saw you, you know, reading the Quran and then going into a Muslim's house and having a meal with them, and, wh- and why are you doing that? Right? I've actually had people tell me I have on my shelf, I think I have them at home, I have like the Book of Mormon and the Quran and a bunch of Eastern Buddhist writings and, and Taoist writings and things like that. And I once had a Christian brother say, how could you ever read those demonic books? <laughs> he came to me with a critical spirit a little bit, and I said, listen, like we talked about last week, this gospel is actually for everyone. Jesus wants us to be able to talk to everyone, and I feel the need to learn and understand about others and where they come from and what they believe and what's most important. It doesn't mean I, I, I believe these things. It doesn't mean I accept what these books teach. What it means is that I'm trying to understand other people so that I can have a conversation with them without having a critical spirit. And so what I'm trying to say here, church, is not that we accept other people's beliefs and lifestyle regardless of what they are, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean that when we feel that God has put a truth in our heart that we believe is from the Lord, that we just say, well, that doesn't matter, we accept everyone, right? Because the Bible does not teach that. We do not throw out what we have come to believe and what God has taught us and the truth we have found. We do not get rid of those things. Because in the same way we are called to preach to our own tribe, as we're going to talk about here in a second, we are also called, called to preach God's truth to all people living in ways that we disagree with. And so here's the important part, and this is kind of where I land on this. By the way, this is difficult, and I get that. <laughs> One of the things that's been really important for me is as a pastor, sometimes people find I'm a pastor and then they immediately have a thought, right? Right? oh, I'm going to get you. I have a non-Christian friend here who is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And whenever I see him, he sort of jabs me with a line like, hey, Sam, how's it going? You saving the heathens? And I just think, yes, I am. Thank you for asking, right? It's, it's so good. He's such a good guy. But one of the things we are called to do is this, is we tell people of Jesus' love. We preach and live out that love as much as we can understand it and the truth he has given to us. But then we stop one step short of convicting that person of their sin. We share our belief and then we trust the Holy Spirit to be the thing that convicts that person of sin in their life. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of righteousness. Remember that whole thing Jesus talked about the speck in the eye and the plank in the eye? How can we convict a brother or sister of their sin when we have a plank in our very own eye? 
And, and, and for me, this has been so, so helpful when I look at a passage like this to think that I can stand in my truth, I can stand in the truth God has given to me that I believe as a pastor and how I read the scriptures and I can talk about it and I can ask questions about the things other people believe and I can live this out to the best of my ability, but I have to be able to stop short of that critical spirit that judges or, or, or convicts another person of their sin because that is not my job. Now, let me say there are exceptions to this. If someone has given you that ability in their life, if someone has asked you that, if someone has, has given you that in a relationship of mentoring or something and said, hey, I want you to help me follow Jesus, that's different. What I'm talking about here is how we go to one another asking them questions to understand. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to convict and for us to be able to rest in the truth that God has revealed to us? Because when I look at this passage, one of the things I wonder about is Cornelius. You know, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Roman centurions were leaders of big regiments of soldiers. Roman centurions would have had to actively participate in pagan worship, in Roman rituals. They would have had to actively lead their soldiers in pagan rituals. And now the Bible doesn't tell us that Cornelius kept doing those things and kept being a Roman soldier. And the Bible doesn't tell us that Cornelius quit being a Roman soldier and relived his whole life right? I would assume that he stopped doing these things, right? But the Bible does not explain these things explicitly. We need to remember that Peter went and preached, and they were saved, and, and, but the Bible does not tell us that Peter then convicted him of all of this sin and told him to stop doing these things and revealed all these things to him. Peter just went and preached Christ to this family, and that's the second thing I want to point out. The first one is we need to learn to listen without critical spirits. And the second thing is we need to rest in the truth of the gospel as God has revealed it to us. We need to rest in the truth of the gospel. And we need to be people who let the Holy Spirit convict and judge because it's not our job. Remember how Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's my job to know good and evil. It's, it's not really for you guys. And yet we think, we know good and evil, right? Surely I'm right. You might be. But it's not for us to have that critical spirit. And so we, when we go out into the world, we stand for what we believe God has taught us. And this is the last point and the third point is that we need to preach that truth to our very own tribes. Because it's really easy to go to people who are very different than us and stand on our truth and think, oh, of course I have the answers. Well, of course... You know, as, my, as I've joked with my friend, of course you heathens need the gospel. But am I brave enough to stand up in my culture, in my tribe, and stand for what I believe in? You know, many of us have gone on missions trips and done things like this. And if you've ever gone on a missions trip or a service project, it's, it's really great and there's a lot of good things about it. And I remember the first time I did one when I was 16. It was year 2000 maybe? 2001? Was this 2000? I know I'm younger than you, Patrick. Yeah. I went to, uh, I remember I went to Romania. I was actually in the mountains of Romania and we were leading like a youth Bible camp and I led a Bible study for peers. I was 16 years old and I led a Bible study for peers. And I was thinking, this is so cool. But then I went home and I was thinking, I would never do that at my home church. I would never like authoritatively or try to teach the Bible. I just sort of sat there and got really, really quiet and think, I don't want people to think I'm super religious, you know. I was willing to do it there, but there was no chance I would ever, ever do it around people who knew me best. 
Because it's hard to preach truth to our own tribe. It's hard to, you know, preach these things that we have found to people who know us best. This is why Jesus got in so much trouble. They were like, oh, you speak so eloquently. And he said, hey, do you guys remember in the time of Elijah that God revealed himself to a bunch of foreigners and not to Israel? Wonder why that is? And then they got really, really mad at him because they were really unfaithful. He knew their weaknesses. Jesus knew the difficulties of his own tribe and his own people, and he called them out. You know, friends, we look at this and we think, okay, yeah, I want to be someone who listens without criticism in my heart. I want to be someone who can, who can live in this truth and not judge others. I want to be someone who can preach to my own tribe and my own people. But what if people reject me? What if the people I'm trying to tell Jesus about reject me? And what if people at home reject me because I'm trying to reach out to people different than me, right? What if I'm going to these people that they disagree with? Or what if I'm staying? I mean, it doesn't matter where I go. What if everyone rejects me? Well, good news. You'll be able to identify with Jesus because the Jews rejected him. The Romans rejected him. <laughs> everyone rejected him. Even his disciples ran away. Everyone left him. Except the women, by the way. I want to point that out. Which, of course, is another example of how amazing brave women are compared to men and how weak we can be sometimes. All the men ran away and all the women were just like, no, we're going to go to the cross. We're okay. We're going to watch this. We're going to be there for him. By the way, happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers. Um, and actually, I would say this too. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who, who may not be mothers, who may want to be mothers, or maybe you've never had the chance to be a mother, or maybe you can't have kids. But regardless of what it is, the Bible is full of strong women. And for those of you who are Christian women who set an example... Thank you. Because the Bible is full of amazing women like that. Everyone abandoned Jesus, except for the women. But anyways, back to the text. See, when we commit to this way of life, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be hardship. We're going to feel isolated. We're going to feel alone at times. When we go home and preach to our tribe and try to call out the sin that we've seen because we know it and we lived in it, we're going to get rejected. When we go outside of our tribe and we go to new people and different people and we try to tell them about the love of Jesus, they will also reject us. But that's okay. When we all commit as a church to this way of life together, then we come together in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, feeling rejected by the world, feeling rejected by other cultures, but knowing that we are all in this together that we all are committed to loving everyone, that we all are committed to reaching out to those different than us, that we share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord and Savior, and know that he does not reject us. We know that because Jesus Christ has not rejected us and will not reject us, that we can listen well with one another and be okay with disagreeing in this room. We can preach truth without being judgmental to our neighbors, and we can do so with love. And we can preach to our own tribes and stand confidently that even though we may be rejected, that we have a home here. And then together we can be a group of misfits and outsiders. On Sunday nights we can gather and say, you know what, I just don't feel at home in this world, but I feel at home in this place. I just don't feel at home at work. I stand out. I always talk about Jesus and I always try to do the honest thing and everyone's cutting corners and everyone's making bad jokes and everyone's using horrible language and I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I feel like a fish out of water everywhere I go. But man, when I gather with brothers and sisters in Christ in my home group, man, when I get together with Bible study, man, when I come together on Sunday nights at church, I feel home. And maybe... 
if we could do this, if we could listen well, if we got rid of our critical spirits, if we stood up for the truth God has revealed to us, maybe God would use us to accomplish what it says in Revelation, to bring all tribes and nations and tongues and peoples together at the foot of his throne so that we would all find our home, not just one night a week, but for eternity. And it seems like a really big ask. It seems like a really big thing that we need to do. And how could Jesus accomplish this? Well, tonight we take communion and we're reminded of how Jesus could accomplish this. Tonight we take communion and we come to this table and we are reminded of, oh yeah, that's how we know we can trust in this Jesus. That's how we know that his truth is a truth that is eternal. Because he gave his very life for us. And so tonight we're going to come to the communion table in a minute. Those of you at home, you're welcome to grab your elements. Um, And I want us to take a minute though before we do and think about this. What are the areas that God is calling you to release your criticism of? Maybe it's a, a, another tribe, maybe it's a people group, maybe it's a mentality you have, maybe it's an, an, a specific person. And then what are the things that we can cling to? What are the things that God has revealed to us that we can cling to? And what are those things God wants us to share with the world? Whether it be our own tribe or, or the Gentiles or someone different than us, I don't know. But let's take a moment I'm going to lead us in prayer, and um, I would ask that you would consider these things as we pray. So would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for Peter's bravery. Thank you for Jesus' bravery in going home to preach a difficult message to his hometown. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us things we need to learn. That if we have a critical spirit, Father, that we would let go of it. Lord, that if we are judgmental, if we are condescending, that you would allow us to be free of those things and rest in your truth and your love. And God, I pray that we would have the bravery, the power of Christ to stand for him in all of these different areas of life. Lord, I thank you for all these things, and I pray that you would reveal them to our hearts. Amen. Um, As we go to communion, um, I just want to lay out a few instructions um, what I'll do is I will break, or I'll take a piece of bread, and I'll just put your hand out, and I'll kind of drop it in your hand so we don't have to touch. Um, and then as you come down the middle aisle, go this way, and Lynette will set a cup just here, and then you can pick it up off the table. Does that make sense? So you're not grabbing it from her hand. She's going to set it down, and then you will grab it and go. And please wait till you get back to your seat to take your mask off and eat and drink, okay? We'll do the liturgy kind of now. And then when you get back, while the musicians are playing, you can take the bread and the cup when you're ready in your seat. Okay, so but please keep your mask on for the duration. All right, just put my hand in my pocket, so now I need to wash it again. This is this wonderfully horrible process of doing communion with gloves. But safety first.